Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. The morning of July 27th, we all woke up to this disturbing headline, Wrong Way Van in Fiery Horror. Four kids among eight killed in smash-up. Then nine days later, this bombshell. Mom in fatal wreck was drunk on vodka, high on pot. The story of Diane Schuler shocked not only our nation, but also her friends and family. How could this mother of two get behind the wheel of a minivan full of kids, drunk and high? And how could it happen without anybody knowing? The Schuler family of four had just finished a weekend camping trip in upstate New York when tragedy struck. After kissing her husband Daniel goodbye, 36-year-old Diane Schuler set off in her minivan with her two children and three nieces for the two-and-a-half-hour drive back to Long Island. While on the road, Diane spoke with her brother Warren and reportedly told him she wasn't feeling well. Not long after that call, Diane drove onto the Taconic State Parkway directly into oncoming traffic. Diane crashed head-on into an SUV carrying Michael Bastardi, his son Guy Bastardi, and Daniel Longo, a family friend. All three men died along with Diane, her daughter Erin, and her three young nieces, Emma, Allison, and Kate. The only survivor of the horrific crash was the Schuler's five-year-old son, Brian. Nine days after the accident, a stunning revelation. Diane's toxicology report showed a blood alcohol level of 0.19, the equivalent of 10 drinks and high levels of marijuana in her system. A bottle of vodka was found in her minivan. I never saw her drunk since the day I met her. Her husband, Daniel Schuler, has emphatically denied that his wife drank alcohol or did drugs that day. He believes an underlying medical condition caused Diane's bizarre behavior. She was a perfect wife and a standing mother. I go to bed every night knowing my heart is clear. She did not drink. She's not an alcoholic. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, it's been three months now since Diane Schuler's deadly crash. Diane's husband, Daniel, continues to defend his wife. He declined to appear here today, but sent this statement saying, I know my wife, Diane, was not under the influence of alcohol or pot at the time of her accident. I'm so convinced of this, I've hired the CMP Protective and Investigative Group to conduct a full investigation to determine what happened on July 26, 2009. I knew Diane for 13 years, was married to her for eight years. We had two children, Brian and Aaron, and all the years I spent with her, I never saw her drunk. She was the best mother and wife that anyone could have hoped for. He says, I know in my heart my investigation will reveal the true cause of this automobile accident that took Diane Aaron and my nieces, Emma, Allison, and Kate from me, and Michael Bastardi, Guy Bastardi, and Daniel Longo from their families. So um, Thomas Ruskin is that private investigator hired by Daniel Schuler, and he is joining us on Skype. So what does uh, Daniel believe happened then the day of that accident, Thomas? Daniel doesn't know exactly what happened. The one thing he's convinced of from the day I met him, which was the day after the toxicology came out, is that alcohol and pot was not the cause of this accident. Daniel's convinced of that. When we were hired by the Shuler family, it was my mantra to go forward and determine what happened that day, no matter what it was. Every person that we've interviewed from high school through her adult life has told us they never saw Diane drunk. She occasionally did have a drink, but she would even, you know, mix it with additional mixers so she wasn't drunk. Okay, so tell me this. Was there vodka? Was there a vodka bottle found in the car? Yes, there was. And how do we explain the vodka bottle in the car? First, the vodka bottle was fractured during the accident. It was broken. So we don't know from an investigator standpoint, us or the state police, how much vodka was actually in that bottle. Did she consume from that bottle if she was drunk? Uh, or did she drink somewhere else? The way that the Schuler family describes it is she did have a tendency to bring the bottle back and forth because during the week, Daniel would like to have a drink, and she was somewhat frugal. And the fact that they didn't keep alcohol in the house at all uh, led hey, uh, uh, Hold up a second. She would bring the bottle back and forth where? From the campground that they spend weekends to the house in Long Island. Now, if you're an alcoholic, I mean, this is my background in law enforcement. If you're an alcoholic, you have bottles hidden everywhere. We searched their home. We searched the camper. We didn't find one bottle of alcohol, used, unused, or otherwise. So let's That's go back, Thomas. Let's go back. Let's go back to the point about the vodka. Because uh, I am, and I can tell the audience is also confused about the vodka that she carried back and forth. 
for him to drink at, while right. they were at the campgrounds. That, that's right. No, and, and, that's, he, and we reasonably believe that's the bottle that was in the car. They used to keep one bottle behind the TV while they were there so Daniel could have a drink occasionally while they were up at the camper. So why wouldn't the bottle then be there at the camper? Because Diane had a tendency, because she was frugal, because they, that bottle would last seven, eight, nine months to carry it back and forth. The police... How big a not, bottle was it? How, I, I think it was... I, I don't know, because the bottle was broken, but it's my understanding it was a liter bottle. Uh-huh. Well, well, I think that, you know, you can determine by the size of the pieces of the glass how big the bottle actually was. Yeah, I, I believe it was a regular liter bottle. Okay. So since the official police report has not been released, what do you base your information on about Diane Schuler? Well, I mean, we have interviewed countless people. I think we're up to 53, 57 people that we've interviewed along the way. What we do know is this, that at 9.30, Diane leaves the campground. She takes the kids, she kisses Daniel goodbye, Daniel kisses the kids goodbye, and they proceed in their own separate cars towards eventually meeting up at their home in Long Island. Diane stops with the kids at McDonald's and has a meal. Now, state police have told us that they interviewed the people who waited on them in the McDonald's and said that she was absolutely normal. We know what she purchased in the McDonald's. She's seen leaving the McDonald's on the video and appears to be fine. What our investigators found is that thereafter she went to a gas station in close proximity filled up the car with gas, and then we have a video of her walking inside the convenience store and trying to purchase an over-the-counter pain medicine, gel caps. And the way we know that is we interviewed the store clerk who didn't even know it was Diane Schuler. Okay, let me ask you this then. How do you, as an investigator, explain the toxicology report with high levels of marijuana in Diane's system? How do you explain that? I can't explain it, but what I will tell you is what we are doing is I want to determine if those results are correct. There's nothing to assume that they're not correct. Well, the Schuler family obviously doesn't believe that report. They absolutely, Daniel Schuler does not, and the Schuler family does not believe that report. They believe that a mistake has to have been made. It is the family's position that something else caused Diane's death. Daniel's convinced beyond any doubt that this is not the woman he was married to for eight years. He well, never I, saw her drunk. Okay, well, he as never a, saw her drunk. Okay, I think that's an interesting statement that he says he used the term drunk. He used the term well, drunk. He, and intoxicated. I mean, I'm using the word drunk. Yeah, but you no, know, he, he used, he used in his statement, I never saw her drunk. My question right. is, has he ever seen her drinking? Oh, yeah. He, she's had drinks. She had a, She had uh, drinks at family functions occasionally. And, but she would have, like a portion of one drink. Because the no truth is, as you know, as you know, as an investigator, different people with different levels of intoxication handle it differently. And not everybody is a falling down, you know, can't walk, can't talk or speak drunk. And That's as you know, as a private investigator, and as we're gonna talk about later on in the show, there are many people who have secrets that they hide and they keep from their families and they keep from, you know, other people who know them. Is it possible that Daniel Schuler is in denial? I don't believe he's in denial. I believe if she was a drinker, which is not what our evidence has shown thus far. When I came into it, I really did suspect 
that we might find that. That's not what our evidence has shown thus far. Your evidence shown has shown contrary. what? What is your our, evidence our ev shown? Well, this, this is what we do know. At 11.37, Emma Hance, her niece, makes a call to her family and has, engages her father in a conversation in which she says that they're running a little late. At 12.08, Jackie Hance, her, her uh, sister-in-law, calls and engages Diane in a conversation. And Diane is coherent, she is responsive, and she is engaging. They are talking about future family plans. At 12.58, 48 minutes later, Emma makes a call from the same cell phone to her family saying, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. There's something, Aunt Diane is having trouble seeing, she's having trouble talking, and she is confused and lost. Diane is in the background, heard, she doesn't know where she is. Now, that's 48 minutes that she's traveling along with the kids. It is inconceivable that someone could consume eight to 10 ounces and metabolize that within the 48-minute period. So something possibly other than alcohol could be a contributory factor to this accident. Brian, their five-year-old son, is the only survivor. How is he doing? Brian's doing well. I mean, Brian suffered very severe injuries. He broke his leg. He broke his arms. He's a normal five-year-old boy who is recovering from very severe head trauma. But uh, I saw Brian just last week. And he was playing. He wanted to go out and play ball. So he's recovering. But he does have some of the uh, effects from the accident. Thank you, Thomas Ruskin. It was the headline that gripped the nation. A mother of two with five children in her car drives head on into an SUV carrying three men. Eight people, including the driver, Diane Schuler, her daughter, and three nieces, are left dead. Nine days later, a toxicology report shows Diane Schuler's blood alcohol level is twice the legal limit. And she has marijuana in her system. To this day, her husband Daniel claims she was sober at the time of the accident. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, Mike Bastardi's father, Michael, brother, Guy, and uh, friend Daniel Longo all died in the SUV that day. Mike is joining us uh, on Skype along with his wife, Jeannie. So, Mike, how are you doing? Doing okay. So, you just heard the uh, private investigator. How do, what did you think or feel about what he just said? Any and all statements that Mr. Ruskin has to say about this case, my case, I discard. So I hear you think that Daniel's covering something up. Is that true? What do you think he's covering up? If you have nothing to hide, and in the beginning, when he refused to speak to state police, you know, denying this whole thing about the drugs, won't speak about the marijuana, we know she smoked marijuana, the marijuana had to be in the car, 
The Fokker was in the car. I mean, you have nothing to hide. You come forward. It, it's, there's seven innocent people that were killed in this accident. Let, let me interject. Go ahead, Jeannie. First of all, <clears throat> I just heard Mr. Ruskin say, this is the evidence. Nothing he just said is evidence. Mm -hmm. There are no recorded cell phone calls. There are no voicemails. So what he's giving up as evidence is just what they're saying happened. Mm -hmm. As far as the McDonald's video, uh, we were told the help said they didn't notice anything. Sunoco video, she went in for gel caps. How a clerk would remember who asked for gel caps three weeks later is beyond my ability to understand. But what we saw in the Sunoco video was a woman who at 10.20 in the morning left five young children alone in a van, which we now know contained a 1.75 liter bottle of absolute vodka and strolled into the store, leaving them there unattended. I saw the clip with an astounding mother. Astounding, Oprah, is how she got back in the van, managed to hold a steering wheel, an almost two-liter bottle of vodka, a cell phone, and marijuana, and continue on a charade for four hours that has inevitably killed seven innocent people. Mm -hmm. And all those cell phones in between, that's what we want to uncover. Were there adults that knew she was very intoxicated and neglected to call 911? The state police have assured us, had that happened, they would have issued an Amber Alert, and maybe we all wouldn't be sitting here today. Well. Uh, Elizabeth Spratt, thank you, Jeannie, is the director at the lab where Diane's toxicology report was conducted. Now, Elizabeth, Daniel Schuler says that your report is wrong. Uh, what do you say to that? It's 100% correct. There's no chance of error. We did a lot of work. We have standards, controls, checking and rechecking that we do for all of our work. This is standard for anything we do in the laboratory, and we stand by everything we reported. Is there any question in your mind that perhaps maybe this is the wrong body or the wrong DNA or? No, there's no question in my mind there's the wrong body or the DNA. And marijuana, did you test for other drugs? Did you test for other drugs? Oh, absolutely. We checked for over-the-counter drugs. We checked for the drugs of abuse. We checked for over 300 drugs on every single person. This is what was positive in the alcohol as well as the marijuana in Diane Schuler. Everyone else was negative on those people in that crash. How much marijuana was in her system? There was a lot of marijuana, and we know that by the breakdown product from the actual active ingredient, which is THC, and there was a lot of THC itself in the blood sample. And so what do you think of the Schuler's um, dismissal of, of your report? I feel very sad for the entire tragedy, but I know that our results are accurate. And we did many samples. We didn't just do a blood sample, Oprah, to see that the alcohol level was here. We did vitreous humor, which was even higher. We did gastric contents. We did brain so, and urine. So we know that these all match with the alcohol level in the blood. And what was the alcohol level in the blood? It was a 0.19%, and that's, that's the alcohol level. And so I understand that's like double what is considered. 
yes, 0.08% is considered driving while intoxicated, and it's more than double that. More than double that. And the marijuana, in layman's terms, you, what you found would mean what? You, you had to smoke how much? We can't tell how much she smoked because there, there's no uh, control to do that type of work. But we know it was more recent smoking based on one of the breakdown products that we found. The THC itself was extremely high. It was 133 nanograms per mil. In some of our mean? drunk What does that drivers, mean to us, though? What does that mean in layman's turn? If I got a sample several hours after somebody smoked, I would see numbers like two, three, five, seven nanograms per mil. This was 133 nanograms because it peaks very quickly when you smoke and disappears very quickly. Hmm. Okay, that we understand. That we understand. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. And thank you, Mike and Jeannie. And uh, our hearts go out to you as you continue to deal with this one day at a time. So when you hear that, 133, obviously you knew that number or knew what that meant. When you hear that, does that just cause you to be more infuriated? It's outrageous. The whole thing is outrageous. If they want to clear her name and Mr. Ruskin wants to get to the results, then they need to exhume the body, which they said they were going to do two months I, ago. I just want to just remind everyone that Mr. Ruskin said he had 53 to 57 people I interviewed in their investigation. Not one person is under oath mm -hmm. at all. Not one. Thank you. Thank you both. You may remember this heartbreaking call for help. I'm eight years old. My sister's five years old. She's in the car with me. Can you help me? In Washington State, an eight-year-old boy calls 911 from his mom's cell phone. My mom, we were driving home from a friend's house. My mom, I don't know what to do. She's not taking me home. Okay, is your mom able to talk to me? No, I think she was hanging up on you. Okay, why do you think that? Because I think we was in a restaurant and she had some drinks. I don't know if the drinks were expecting her or something. The mother of two reportedly hangs up on the operator, but her son calls back. Eventually, police locate the car. She's arrested for drunk driving and pleads guilty to fourth-degree assault. Records show she had a prior DUI conviction. Drunk moms driving with kids in their cars is a problem. We're hearing about more and more lately, and just two weeks ago, another deadly car crash in New York City, another mom accused of driving drunk. It was supposed to be a weekend-long slumber party for Brittany and her six closest friends. But on the second night, Brittany's mom, Carmen Yertas, took the girls to another party. It was there, witnesses say, she started drinking. At the end of the evening, all seven young girls crammed into a sedan with Carmen behind the wheel. Many of the girls were riding without seatbelts. Why didn't not one single adult see this young lady drinking and say, hold up, you can't take those kids in that car driving, you're drunk. Carmen lost control of the vehicle. It flipped over several times, throwing three of the girls from the car. Two of them were seriously injured. 11-year-old Leandro Rosato was killed. Carmen Yurtis has been uh, charged with vehicular manslaughter and driving while intoxicated. Tests revealed that her blood alcohol level was 0.132, significantly over the legal limit. At this time, Carmen has not entered a plea. 
11-year-old Kayla was in that car that night, and she's here with her mother, Melody. And joining us on Skype is Lenny Rosato, whose daughter, Leandra, was killed in that crash. Lenny, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good, Oprah. I'm, I'm holding up as, uh, you know, as much as I can. Mm. It's just been 11 days now since you lost um, Leandra. Tell us about her. Uh, my daughter was, uh, she was uh, full of life. You know, she was a young girl that just loved going out and, and enjoying life every day. You know, she always wanted to be by my side. She was, she was a jokester. Uh, she, she just loved, uh, I mean, playing cranks and joking, you know. And she, reached, she loved her friends. She loved being around them. She loved protecting them. And Kayla is here. And Kayla, you were one of her friends. Yes, I knew her for four years and we're really good friends. We did everything with each other. You did everything with each other. And I know you miss her. I know. So thank you for being here today. So you broke your arm in that accident. Tell me what you remember of that night getting in the car and what you remember of the accident. Well, Carmen, she, she, she looked fine. But then when we got in the car, it looked kind of scary because we kept on going. It was like the car was speeding. The car was speeding. So tell me this, because you know we've been talking about other people and how they look before they get in the car. You know what drunk is, right? Yeah. You know what that, have you ever seen anybody drunk? Not really. Yeah. You're on TV or anything? No. So she seemed, when you say she seemed fine to you, what does, what does that mean? She wasn't like when they like, like, maybe it might fall or something. Mm -hmm. She wasn't like that. She wasn't like that. She yeah. was like, st like st stood up. Like mm -hmm. she didn't. Yeah, so she seemed normal to you. Yeah. She seemed normal to you. And so you get in the car. How many of you were in the car? Seven. Seven, seven girls in the car. You'd been at the slumber party? Because this was a two day party. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you all got in the car, you noticed she was speeding. Then after the party, that's when like, after we, the party. We, we, cause we, the party ended, I think at 12. Like last time when I checked it, it was like 12.04. Mm-hmm. And um, supposedly, like, she, I told Brittany that her mom kind of looks like she's kind of drunk. Mm -hmm. But, but Brittany said that her mom, if her mom was, would be drunk, her eyes would be like kind of closed a little. Mm -hmm. And her eyes wasn't closed. And so like I believed her because mm -hmm. she knows her mom like really, 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 really well. Mm -hmm. So you said to Brittany, you said to Brittany, yeah. your mom looks kind of drunk. You said that those words, those are the words you used. And so Brittany said. No, because her mom's eyes wouldn't be wide. Mm -hmm. And what made you think that her mom might be drunk? I mean, the way she was kind of like, to me, like, I think the way she, she was talking and like, it's like hard to explain. Mm -hmm. So do you remember the accident at all? Did you all put, so seven girls, did you have on your seatbelts? Mm -hmm. Cause me, Giselle and Leandra were in the back, mm -hmm. which is in the trunk. Mm -hmm. And- You were in the trunk part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember the part where she says, raise your hand if you think we're going to crash, or raise your hand if you think we're going to go home safe. Who said that? Carmen. And then all of a sudden, the car starts to shake. All of a sudden, the car started to shake. So Carmen actually asked 
the girls in the car to raise their hand if you think we're going to crash? And what did you think? What did you think of that? Um, scared. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that everyone was scared. Mm -hmm. But they just didn't want to raise their hand. Mm -hmm. Nobody raised their hand? Mm -hmm. Do you remember what you were thinking at the time? I know I felt scared and worried. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know, like, we were going to crash or something. Was she driving fast? Was she driving, she you was, know, erratically she, over? She, she was speeding, and they, like, um, I, I forgot which one of the girls. One of the girls told me that, that she was just fooling around, like, going side to side. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, that when she went to go stop it, I guess, she went to go pull the brake, and then that's when we started flipping over, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the flipping over? No, don't remember the flipping over. Just two weeks ago, authorities claimed this mother, Carmen Yertas, drove drunk with seven young girls in her car. Carmen's car flipped several times, throwing three girls from the vehicle, killing her daughter, Brittany's best friend, Leandra. Two other girls, including Kayla, were seriously injured. Carmen is charged with manslaughter and DWI, but has not entered a plea. She remains in the hospital on suicide watch. So, Melody, this is a lesson, I think, for many parents. Yes. This is the lesson I want all parents to hear. Several times, you told my producers, several times you thought not to let your daughter go. Yes. Carmen called me Thursday night nine times. That was the first time I met her over the phone. She called you nine times? Nine times. And you didn't know Carmen? I didn't know her. I met her over the phone, but she's met my daughter a few times. Mm -hmm. And Brittany and Kayla grew up together from the first grade. And Brittany's dad, Ernie, is a wonderful father. So Ernie trusted his daughter to go with the mother, so I trusted my daughter to go with the mother. And um, so I told her, I don't know, I'll call you back. Why were you being hesitant, though? What about something, this made you feel? Something in my heart was telling me, don't let her go. It was an instinct, and I should have went with that instinct. I don't know. I, I get instincts sometimes, and sometimes I go with them, and sometimes I don't. But I didn't think anything of this. Like, I let her go. I was like, OK, Kayla, she was supposed to be there at 3 in the afternoon. She didn't get to Brittany's house till 6.30, because my instincts were like, no, no, no. And she kept on, Mom, please, all the girls are going to be there. I'm like, I don't know, Kayla, I don't know, I don't know. Next thing you know, I almost lost my daughter. I just can't believe this lady would drive drunk with seven children in her car. Just can't believe it. So, uh, Lenny, obviously, to hear Kayla talk about those uh, moments in the car would be hard for you because you know your daughter, Leandra, was sitting with her. Yeah, just, <clears throat> just listening to her, I mean, it's, I was sitting here you know, tears running down and trying to hold my emotions because uh, it's not the first time. I've had other days was running through my mind what these girls were going through when that car was flipping over and just thinking about what my daughter was saying, you know, when she crying out for daddy and, you know, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to listen to it. And I know it, it plays over my mind every single day. Mm. Well, thank you for joining us. What do you want other parents to take away from your loss? I, I, want, I want to reach out to all the parents out there. I mean, teach your kids, you know, if, if they know they're getting into a vehicle and they notice that the person is, is 
drunk or some, you know, intoxicated or something, to, to not get in the car or if they're already in the car, step out the car. Uh, you know, let's, it's time to lay, lay back and, and let's give our kids cell phones, you know, because I, I go back and I wonder, you know, if my daughter had a cell phone at that time of, the, of this incident. And I'm, I know my daughter would call me and say, hey, dad, you know, come and get me. There's a problem here. And I would make sure that I, you know, would have intervened in somehow, some way, you know, get out there or, or call 911 and, you know, stop this from happening. So yeah. I think it's time for us to let our kids. Empower our kids is what you're saying. Empower, empower them. Kids. Yes. I mean, you know, it's, kids. It'll, yeah. it'll save lives. It'll yeah. save lives. You know? Yeah. But I just want to say that these were 11-year-old girls in the car, and 11-year-old girls wouldn't know what to do. You know, they didn't have cell phones, and so they didn't know what to do. And in this case, these 11-year-old girls were powerless. So you did the best you knew how to do. So I don't want you blaming yourself or thinking if there was something else you could have done, because you did the best you knew how to do at the time. So thank you so much, Kayla, for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Lenny. Lenny is meeting with New York City officials to try and toughen DWI penalties and create a law in remembrance of Leandra. We wish you the best with that. Thanks, Lenny. And thank, thank you, you, Melody. Thank you. Thank you. In the past decade, the number of women who are admitting to abusing alcohol has nearly doubled. And this week, People Magazine reports that the number of women arrested for drinking and driving has shot up 30% since 1998. I personally believe that everything happens in our lives for a reason. So if you are watching this show right now and you are a woman who's hiding a drug or alcohol problem from your husband or your family, your friends, your kids, this show is your wake-up call. Listen to this. Ellie is a stay-at-home mom. This is her story. I kept it secret even from my husband and my closest friends. I hid bottles all over the house. I had to take the bottles and stick them down on the side of my hamper. And I did that because I knew my husband didn't do laundry. It's difficult for me to look at that picture because what I see in my face is um, just hopeful anticipation of being a mother. What I didn't expect, and I don't think anybody could have told me, is that how it would make me feel so inadequate inside. And drinking became a way to create that feeling of normalcy and confidence. Ellie says she thought she had her drinking under control until she left a high-powered career and became a stay-at-home mom. This is a picture of my daughter's second birthday. At that point, couldn't handle any social situation without drinking. So I would hide the bottle of Chardonnay right in this cabinet behind the pots and pans, and I would sneak in during the party and have a drink. As my problem got worse and my drinking progressed, I wanted to make sure that everything seemed more than okay, that everything seemed perfect. I remember one evening when I was reading a story to my daughter. I would feel to myself, you know, normal mothers do this. And then I finished the story and I kissed her goodnight, stood up to leave, and I fell over on the floor. This is one of the liquor stores that I would go to. I would go to this one on Monday and another one on Tuesday. and. Another one on Wednesday, just to be, just to try to prove to the people who worked there that I didn't have a problem. As my drinking progressed, I would draw all sorts of lines in the sand for myself. Driving with my kids after drinking 
was one of those things I had always told myself I would never do, that, that I, I might have a problem, but I would never do that. And then at the end, that happened. So Ellie is here. She's been sober now for over two years. How did you finally get help? What was the bottom for you? Um, the bottom for me, I think, was when the jig was up. I couldn't hide it successfully anymore. And my husband confronted me and said that he was going to take the kids and leave if I didn't get help. How long had you been hiding it? I had been hiding it for well over a year mm -hmm. before that time. Mm -hmm. And so obviously you weren't hiding it well since your husband came to you. Less and less well. Less yeah. and less well, because you got sloppier as you went along? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. I think a lot of uh, alcoholics do this, and people who have other secrets, and that you would have um, criteria that you, you know, you'd have limits for yourself, and then you'd break that limit. Mm -hmm. Then you'd have another limit, and then you'd break that limit, right? Absolutely. I, I think as my drinking progressed, I can remember that I would, like I said on the tape, draw lines in the sand. And, and initially, I used those to say, I can't be an alcoholic because I've never done this or mm -hmm. I've never done that. Mm -hmm. I've never had a drink before 5. It mm -hmm. starts there. And yep. then I've never had a drink in the morning. And as the disease progresses, those things become less and less impossible to do. And the way I view it is as I go over one of those lines, like I'm driving in the car and I've been drinking and I've got my children I can't face how horrible that is. I can't face the shame that I've just done something that I told myself I'd never do. Mm -hmm. And I create all of these rationales and excuses in my head to believe that it's not so bad. I'm just going a couple of miles to the store. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's denial. And I have to believe those things. Because if I don't, I have to admit my problem. Mm -hmm. And that's just too scary. So Steve, when did you first know, suspect? Well, there was, there was little signs. You know, hindsight's always 20-20, but you don't even know what you're dealing with. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, you find, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's two glasses of wine on the table instead of one for a Wednesday night dinner. You're like, hmm, that's kind of odd, but, you know, you're busy, she's busy, you got the kids. That's the last thing in the world you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. In the end, you know. I mean, in the end, it becomes a no-brainer, but, you know, for a year and two years before, there were little signs, you know, little things you you notice now. But. So you've been here this whole show. Is it possible that Daniel Schuler could not, not have known that his wife was drinking? I can't even answer for, for that Anybody case. I, I, I wouldn't even go there because you just, you keep, until you live through it, even after you live through it, even after her third rehab, you know, I'm still thinking to myself, what is wrong with this woman? You know, she's so well-educated. She's very intelligent. She's put together. You know, why can't she just stop? And you can't understand addiction until you live through it and see somebody. And even then, it takes time. And then one day you just believe. You, you kind of you recognize it's more than just a lack of self-control. It's, it's addiction. It's the, it's the addiction. So were you good at hiding it, or was he in denial? I was good at hiding it. At first? At first. Mm -hmm. For a long time, I was good at hiding it. And I used the fact that people see a put-together, relatively mm -hmm. articulate, smart mom whose kids are doing great. I'm active in the community. I'm active in the church. People don't want to see it. It yeah. does make it easier to yeah. lie. And I'd you know, like to say to everybody that if you're doing this, if you're hiding the secret, you're not going to walk into the soccer game you know, falling down drunk. Because no. then everybody would know. I was very careful. I, I, people would never see me drunk. If I had to drink a little in secret before the party or go home and drink a little bit more, I managed that part of it until the very end when I couldn't. I managed that part of it very carefully. Yeah.
Sarah Allen Benton is the author of Understanding the High-Functioning Alcoholic and a licensed mental health counselor. Sarah knows firsthand about this disease. She's been in recovery for the past five and a half years, joining us from her home office in Boston. Does Ellie's story sound familiar? High-functioning. There are a lot of high-functioning alcoholics. Yes. I mean, Ellie's story is really the classic profile of the high-functioning alcoholic. She kept mm. things looking perfect on the outside. She mm -hmm. was overachieving in many areas, mm -hmm. but yet she was still drinking alcoholically. And so often, the story of the high-functioning alcoholic is not one of obvious tragedy. Mm -hmm. It's really one of silent suffering. Mm -hmm. Silent suffering. So you obviously are familiar with what we know of the Schuler case. Do you think that's similar? Well, I, I don't know. The, the truth of the matter, I, I do know that it is possible that loved ones, there's a lot of secondary denial that goes on with uh, friends, family, spouses around a high-functioning alcoholic's drinking. And it's perplexing because a person who's high-functioning just doesn't fit the stereotype right. of the typical alcoholic. And it's really hard to conceptualize them as being alcoholic. I think it's so interesting, though, that we're hearing that the statistics are showing more and more women are coming forward admitting to secretly drinking. What do you think that's all about? Well, there is a lot of shame and guilt that goes hand in hand with feeling that you have an alcohol problem because people expect the alcoholic to be the homeless bum on the street. There's right. this stigma associated with saying the word alcoholic. And Allie, you know of that because that's what kept you from moving forward, correct? Absolutely. It's, the, it's, I think, for being a mother, I'll speak for myself, it's the double whammy of feeling as though I've got to tell the world I have an alcohol problem. And the fear of being branded a bad mother, it drove it deeper and deeper underground. I could not imagine a scenario where I could admit my problem and not be judged to the point where it would be unbearable for me. Well, the only thing that forced you to admit it, based on what you've shared here, is your husband saying, Absolutely. I'm going to take the kids. Absolutely. That was your bottom. That was my bottom. So two years sober? Two years. Two years. I just felt that sigh. Yeah. I felt that yeah. sigh. Yeah. I, I appreciate the applause. I just I need to add, it. it's, it's odd to receive applause for that, because I'm really no different than anybody else who either struggles with addiction or recovery. And, and it's, it's, it's an ongoing battle. But I think what you're doing here is important because people don't realize how many people are suffering like this. Are suffering. So I want to say thank you to Ellie and Sarah and Kayla and all my guests today. Bye, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. 
Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. 